0: It's my pleasure to be able to present the Dharma Talk this evening. But I want to start off with something that um, I want to share with you. Do you know what, a like, um, when you have a song in your mind that just keeps going over and over again? Well, I heard something yesterday that I can't get out of my mind, and so I just want to bring it up, and I'm going to sing it. It's not that I have, again, a great voice, but it is on my mind, and I'd love to share it with you. And this is, here we go, because it's almost as if I woke up this morning like this. Woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on freedom. I said I woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on freedom. I woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on freedom. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, it ain't no harm in keeping your mind, your mind stayed on freedom. I woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on freedom. I woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on freedom. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So this is my earworm, I think it's called, right? (laughs) So now I hope you don't get it, but it was just on my heart. I just needed to do that. (laughs) So thank you for that indulgence. I love it. (laughs) Um, So this afternoon and evening for some, it's really quite a pleasure to be, as I said before, to be able to present this first Dharma talk for today. And this is day one of our first day the LGBTQI GNC retreat. And in fact, as we were talking about, this is a momentous momentous day. I mean, it's something we've been waiting for all of us. Um, It's election day, but it's more than that. It's a gathering. It's a gathering of all of our souls. Um, I think that the Dharma medicine that you'll be receiving this week will be exactly what we need. I know I'm looking forward to hearing the wisdom of my fellow teachers and also the wisdom of the Sangha. So again, this is day one of a sacred retreat. Every day we'll be practicing for periods where we are really practicing to settle our minds. We'll be offering instructions in order just to be able to sit and be with what is arising and emerging for all of us. We're also gonna have Dharma talks in the afternoon and we'll have an opportunity to enter into heart practices specifically with metta and chanting a little bit later on. All of them are so relevant to what we need right now. And then most importantly, there's you, the Sangha. I have already just in this very short afternoon, morning, afternoon, experienced your aliveness in your practice. I have felt the deepening, the softening, the quiet. And it's real interesting that we are on Zoom and I still feel that. You know, I still feel that connection, even though I'm looking at you in these squares or more importantly, I'm feeling you in these squares. So I want to offer deep bows to all of you. So thank you So to start off my talk this afternoon, I want to share with you a poem. But first I want to share with you how I got the poem, and how I came, it came to me, and then it became something I really wanted to, to share. A spiritual sister friend of mine forwarded a podcast to me. It was an interview by a warrior activist named Ruby Sales. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's a racial and social justice leader in Atlanta. And she is the founder of an organization called Spirit House Project. And among her amazing stewardship was a project that she did in 2015. I just think it was quite outstanding. It was investigating and actually looking at mysterious deaths of over 2000 black folks that were reported or not reported. But this report she entitled, and this is per her project and her organization, she entitled it, Breaking the Silence Against Modern Day Lynching. Not an easy title to receive, but quite profound work. And the title of this podcast was called, Where Does It Hurt? And it was presented in conversation with Krista Tippett um, from On Being. So it was a conversation between her and Ruby Sales. But I knew I heard the title somewhere. I mean, I was searching not just the internet, but I have a whole file of, of poems. And if anyone has sat with me before, you know that I am a poem queen. I always bring out a poem or two, and you'll hear a few today as well. But I looked and looked, and finally, I found it. And although it isn't entitled, Where Does It Hurt?, I was able to find it. And I want to share it with you now. It's called What They Did Yesterday Afternoon. And it's already been uploaded into your resources. It's by Warsong Shire, S-H-I-R-E. And so here it is, what they did yesterday afternoon. They set my aunt's house on fire. I cried the way women on TV do, folded in the middle like a five pound note. I called the boy who used to love me, tried to okay my voice. I said, hello. He said, Warshong, what's wrong? What happened? I've been praying and these are what my prayers look like. Dear God, I come from two countries. One is thirsty and the other is on fire. Both need water. Later that night, I held an Atlas in my lap, ran my fingers across the whole world and whispered, where does it hurt? It answered, everywhere, everywhere. Warsong Shire. So as I was thinking about writing this talk, and I have written this talk several times, I've presented it in several places, but each time of a course at one other place, it's new. But this talk was really kind of excruciating to write. And it was probably difficult on a lot of levels that I haven't yet even figured out or yet have been able to digest or it hasn't really come up for me to really identify why it was so hard to write it but just the title itself, where does it hurt? I subtitled it, suffering in the, pan- in the time, in the wake of, of a pandemic. <laughs> and I think we're all kind of jostling between these last 11 months. You know, when we decided to join again together for this retreat, all the teachers It was two years ago when we did our last retreat. Um, I immediately said yes, because I love the team. And then the title was proposed, Deepening in the Heart of Love and Freedom. And just the last few months after we gathered, we expanded the description because we realized that, as Arena had said, they had pushed our retreat. So now we are kind of in this election cycle. Who could imagine we would be doing it? this day, and yet this is what we are. This is where we are. But I think also one of the difficulties for me was to navigate. I wanted to be able to present in this precious moment a talk that reflected 26, 27 years of Spirit Rock's LGBTQI GNC retreats. And I have to tell you, our wonderful teacher, Arena Wiseman and Eric Kovig began this tradition. And it was a long road, a fight to make sure that this retreat was a mainstay. So deep bows, deep bows to those teachers who knew that this was exactly where we need to be, gathering in community. And the other thing is I wanted to make sure that What I was writing and presenting and offering to you was connective, coherent, thoughtful, and hopefully impactful. But additionally, there's this emergence that's happening, right? In all of our lives, the conditions, the internal and the external conditions that we're all dealing with. And I personally needed to connect to those so that I could deliver the dharma, the truth, my truth. I mean, we are dealing right now with two pandemics. One, health pandemic, COVID-19. And the other one is the pandemic of 400 years of oppression of Black folks in America. It hasn't stopped. This is what we have. This is what we're living through. And whether it's social action or caste divide or steps that we're trying to take to decolonize and dismantle systems of oppression, we're seeing even the eroding of our democracy. These are very important times and these are conditions no one could have thought of two years ago where we would be. So in sharing the poem, what they did yesterday afternoon, what struck me first was the last three stanzas. But also, I felt the air in my body expel after reading it. And what it felt like was first it was relief. And then as I contemplated deeper and deeper and actually sat with this in my meditation, it actually felt more like grief. So if you just listen one more time, and this time listen kind of from this inside, I'm going to read the last three stanzas again. I've been praying, and these are what my prayers look like. Dear God I come from two countries one is thirsty the other is on fire both need water later that night I held an atlas in my lap ran my fingers over the across the whole world and whispered where does it hurt it answered Everywhere, everywhere. The poem actually undid me. I felt a bit undone with it. And I started to look at what are we all facing here? Where does it hurt? In March, right when the pandemic was hitting, I was on the teaching team for the March month long at Spirit Rock. 14 days into the retreat, we had to ask the yogis and the participants to leave because we just were navigating all that was going on with this COVID uh, pandemic. Coincidentally, two days later, everything was in lockdown. But with that, there's been a sense of separation from family and friends. And then just the blatant attempts to eradicate both black, brown, LGBT, and trans bodies. So when I pose the question, where does it hurt? This question can go in so many directions for you. Because it did the same thing for me. Has the thirst and the fire lying within your spirit joined together to search out ways to quench and douse the flames? Have the common threads that pull us closer into our sorrow been woven so tightly, or can they even be untied? Has dukkha, suffering, been the precursor and the theme of your stories as of late. I have taken some time to explore the through line between my, what I would call indescribable grief and its intersection with suffering and pain. But this I can tell you for certainty, where it hurts for me. It hurts my heart, my soul, my faith, my hope, my pride. It hurts my mind. It hurts my arms, my ability to connect. It hurts where my ancestors lie. It hurts to see black and brown bodies murdered. It hurts to see mass incarceration, injustice everywhere, police systems set up to destroy, not to protect. It hurts to see the unawakened minds and those who just don't care about the human condition. Children in cages, it hurts to have to call out those names over and over and over again to be sheltered in place while many don't have shelter. It hurts to see our Mother Earth still weeping and struggling to maintain. It hurts to know that I may not see racial and social justice in my lifetime. That's where it hurts. It hurts everywhere. And as I've had to begin to look at this as a place of practice, I've had to see what, how have I masqueraded this sense of grief and suffering? It could it be fear? Sometimes it's anger, it's rage. Sometimes it's depression. But it is loss. And it's always painful. It's never without suffering. Whether we see our grief as sorrow or suffering, we can be deeply affected by its damaging impact on our psyche, our minds, and our hearts. And this is a you know it's a, it's this is my truth right now. I'm I'm speaking to, so it's not an easy talk, as I said. But I am working with it as, as a practice as well. So I've been searching and reading the suttas, which is the, the wisdom, the teachings of, of the Buddha, looking to see where grief was addressed in those teachings. And it's there. But it's there, it's interesting because it's kind of bookended between pain and suffering. There's a wonderful book called The Wings of Awakening by Tanesra Bhikkhu. And he writes this, the first noble truth is that of dukkha, translated as stress and suffering. The term has a wide range of other meanings as well, including distress, dis-ease, and what is probably its most elemental meaning, pain. He then writes, one of the most important insights leading up to the Buddha's awakening was his realization that the act of comprehending pain lay in the essence of the spiritual quest. In trying to comprehend pain, instead of simply trying to get rid of it in line with one's habitual tendencies, one learns many valuable lessons. How do we investigate the origin of grief, suffering? How do we be with that, the sense of it? How do we at least even try to bear witness to it? This is where this idea of of right effort, uh, wise energy comes into play. And in investigation, although pain and grief are strong vantage points, to observing my heart and mind, it's also those places of, of being unpleasant. We'll be practicing a little bit this week around feeling tones, also called Vedana, one of the foundations of mindfulness, as we're, doing, as we're going to be going through some instructions. And with this understanding and practice, we need to see where we have the tendencies for our habituation. And how our habituation to the things that we like, we gravitate to, and the things like grief and suffering, we pull away from. It's the natural human condition. That's what we do. There is no way to get through the portal of healing and ending the pain without seeing it first with wise view and understanding. And even that can be an unclear path. Deva wrote, how do we get to the other shore? To the shore of liberation, to the shore of ease, to the shore of freedom, to the shore of non-suffering. if we're pushing it away and having those habituations of, oh, that's unpleasant, I don't want to see it, I don't want to feel it, I want to ignore it, I want to avoid it, we never get to the true essence of getting to the place of non-suffering. We will be constantly stuck in that cycle of samsara, the constant suffering cycle of death and rebirth without ending and beginning, it just is on and on and on. It's wandering the world as the Sanskrit meaning of it is. And quite frankly, we can't deny the subtle and not so subtle mind-body sensations of this suffering, this dukkha, it's everywhere. And these too need to be investigated and looked at and seeing what's on the underbelly of it as it begins to arise within our practice and within our lives. We are human beings who live in conditioned reality. Mental formations, physical manifestations, the five aggregates, form, feeling, perception, fabrications, consciousness, these are all within our daily practice. And we are right now living in a very, very long history of institutional and endemic suffering, which has caused an erosion of faith and hope and perseverance. And it has settled in our bodies, these subtle body sensations, it's settled into our body and our minds as grief and trauma. It's ancestral, it's intergenerational, and it's presence itself in us. So how do we practice with this grief and not throw it out the door, not ignore it, but bring really fine-tune awareness to it in our practices? How do we develop the tender capacity to hold grief and still be open to its presence? It's not easy. It's not an easy task. It's not an easy place to actually embody either. I have a wonderful poem. Here goes my poems by a senior Buddhist teacher. His name is Larry Ward. He's the founder of Lotus Institute, and he works for nonviolence and social change. And he's a longtime student of Thich Nhat Hanh and a follower of Martin Luther King. In fact, he was ordained personally by Thich Nhat Hanh down in Plum Village. His poem speaks to possibly how we can do this tender holding. So Larry Ward writes, I have been hurt by falling dreams, tumbling down like great stones from the mountain of hope, cracking open my heart. I've had the feeling of losing everything and the sound of being ground up by the world of endurance. Tired, sad, and weary, my heart overflows with tears. I have met my own fury coursing through my veins as a silent illness, because life did not go my way. And I even thought the moon stole my shoes. I searched everywhere, over the green countryside, the crowded city streets, the brown deserts, the snow-capped mountains, and even the dust of stars. I found myself wrapped in clouds of doubt. In the softness of one holy night, the Dharma rain fell. The sky cleared. I looked down and discovered that my shoes had been on my feet all along. My pure heart and mine and pure mind have not been crushed or destroyed by this world's experience of disappointment, hatred, violence, and discrimination. My deepest desire at this moment is to be a poem and to live a prayer that encourages more love in this world. And maybe that's the way in to holding the suffering that we have. This first noble truth. Allowing the Dharma rain to fall. Opening our hearts, opening our minds. Realizing that we actually have our shoes on. We always had our shoes on. beautiful poem beautiful words it gives me insight and actually this sense of walking through the despair but then seeing that on the other side there is this dharma this truth this teaching that i can really hold in hold on to and and enter into as i like to say slather all over my body because it's the truth that I have found at least in my practice for over 25 years. And it's challenging to live in and outside of the Dharma. It's challenging to walk the path of awakening, or at least that try to get to that place of awakening. Unearthing our true nature, our inherent goodness, and oftentimes said our innate goodness, but isn't it in the remembering, remembering of who we are, the qualities that's always been there. We have to look at the conditions, both internally and externally, our internal conditionality that causes us to forget, forget who we are, to forget the truths of our our true nature. Just a real quick story about discovering, I guess, is what it is. My very first POC retreat, now called BIPOC Retreats, was in 2000. It was, so it was 20 years ago. And I went to this retreat. It was my first time at Spirit Rock, and I was a dutiful yogi. You know, I was one of those yogis who didn't look at anybody. I didn't speak to anybody. I did everything I was supposed to do. I was right there. And we were real small. We were only maybe 15, maybe 18 people at that time at the POC retreats. And now there's hundreds, 300 on a waiting list. And every night we had counsel. And so every night we would hold on to a talking stick. The talking stick was actually the microphone. So somebody would take the microphone and would speak. And I was waiting and waiting for my turn. I guess I was waiting for my turn. Maybe I wasn't, but that's what it felt like. And it was the last day of the last night of the last council. And I up the talking stick was actually the microphone. And I began to talk about what was unearthing me, that I had finally been able to see the cause some, not all, but at least a deep, deep cause of my suffering. And it broke me down. And I wept. Looks like my internet might be unstable. Sorry. I wept like a baby. You know, one of those real ugly cries, you know, where you're snot and you're crying and you're crying and crying. And I mean, it was bad. And at that moment, I didn't care. I'm just like weeping and weeping. So when I was done, I put back the talking stick. And then the evening was done. So it's like, oh, boy, now what? So if you've ever been to Spirit Rock, I walked outside the hall and walked into the the bathroom. And I stood in the corner. And what I remember was shaking. I was quivering. Because what was really becoming true to me was that for the first time I could say, I'm suffering. I, I don't think I've ever acknowledged that before. And this is the joy of having community. Because the Eurocentric way of doing these retreats was that you don't look at somebody, you don't touch them, or whatever. But you know, people of color are gonna do what people of color do. We that's our nature. So I was in the corner, in the corner crying, weeping, big, big crocodile tears. And three women came up to me and could feel my suffering. One of them was a woman whom some of you may know, Shahar Godfrey. The other one was Alice Walker. And another woman was Olivia, uh, a Latin sister who is now an ancestor. And they all three came up to me and hugged me. They wrapped me in their arms. And I was able to settle into a moment of relief. It didn't mean that I wasn't suffering anymore. But it meant that I was witnessed. And I was true to saying that I was suffering. My first recognition of it, this recognition of the first noble truth, I had to go deep deep inside the darkness of my soul in order to find some glimmer of light. And I say this often. I didn't come to the Dharma because it was a promise or a guarantee of freedom. I came and stayed in the Dharma because I could see the possibility of freedom freedom from my own conditionality and the intersection between my conditioned life and the life of truth and freedom. And we need wise discernment to veer away from these pattern narratives. You know, our fixed views and our perceptions that we make up in our minds and we proliferate. Sometimes we're locked in this old unconscious belief systems. And I believe right now, as we're sitting in this this sea of change, there's a new consciousness that's arising for all of us on this planet. Because Mother Earth is saying, I will meet you. Just rise up. But truly changing our mental narrative allows us to create a process for healing, healing the grief, healing our pain, and healing our suffering. Connecting us back to the Buddha Dharma as a refuge. Allowing us to ask with total clarity, what is my relationship with this suffering that I actually have, I can identify that there it is. A very, very wise teacher, wrote this in his new book called Love and Rage. Look at how the narrative keeps us from actually doing the really important work of liberation with our own experience. It's not supposed to feel good. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be really uncomfortable. If it were easy and fun, everybody would be doing it. And that's from our beloved teacher, Lomarado, and Owens from his new book, Love and Rage. Breaking down those narratives, changing that internal trigger. Dr. Joy DeGruy, who wrote Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome says, if we don't write our own narrative, someone else will write them for us. It's really a matter of choice. How are we deciding to meet and invite in this relationship with grief and suffering? So again, the question, where does it hurt? I'm not saying or suggesting that pain is not to be felt. Not at all. I'm inviting us to see where we can transform from living in our traumatic, exhausted bodies to actually reaching the other shore, as Shantideva said. But reaching the other shore, not with broken oars or rowing alone, because I believe the only way we're going to heal and find liberation is collectively. But rather, we need to peer into the river of doubt Look at grief, suffering, indecision. Look at our own unawakened minds. Witnessing what's arising for us. Asking the question. Paying attention. Using all of our body to have the full experience. And being able to face the external conditions that beset us. And then perhaps, with quivering voice, we say yes to the river. And we say yes to the distant shore. We even say yes to our suffering, because it's here, it's real. No one is exempt from it. But our relationship to it is what we're really looking at. Where does it hurt? and then you step into the boat and you start paddling towards liberation and freedom. Can we, once we see where it hurts, we can see how the healing begins. Perhaps it's the ultimate or absolute truth that we're seeking, nirvana. Okay, beautiful, awakening, enlightenment. Perhaps it's reality of what exists now. This is what we have, so how do we face it? And I've allowed the Buddha Dharma to begin my healing process. Knowing truth, knowing wisdom, knowing community as my refuge, that's where I go forth. The wisdom of the Buddha, I take refuge. The truth of the Dharma, I take refuge. The community of the Sangha, I take refuge. I woke up this morning with my mind Stayed on freedom. I said I woke up this morning with my mind. Stayed on freedom. Well, I woke up this morning with my mind. Stayed on freedom. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It ain't no harm in keeping your mind. Your mind stayed on freedom, I woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on freedom, I woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on freedom, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hmm. Freedom. Freedom. I'm gonna end this talk with another poem. It's from a wonderful book that I have it right here, actually, it's great to be on Zoom because you can just pull things right off your shelf, right? It is this book, I highly recommend it. I don't know if you can see it. It is called The First Free Women It is a book of poetry by the early Buddhist nuns. And it is translated by a young man named Maddie Weingast. And this is a poem called, Patacharya's 30 Nuns. Farmers take grain from the earth and the branches from the trees. They crack open one with the other and take what's left to feed their families. You are like unripe grain. Take time to grow. Then leave leave the ground behind and let your husks be stripped away. I promise, less is more. So Pachamama told us. So we sat on the ground like unripe grain. We gave ourselves to the path. And the path broke us apart. What we feared most is now seen for what it is, true peace, freedom. All that broke apart was the darkness we had so long been calling our whole world. Pachacharya's Thirty Nuns from the free first free women. This is that poem is also in the resources. So let's just take a moment, please. Settle down. Settle into the words of freedom. The words of liberation of reaching the other shore. Knowing that we are all part of this incredible universe. Touching the atlas everywhere. Asking the most intimate question, where does it hurt? Understanding that we are all here together. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you. Thank you, Naliwe. And um, I forgot to mention that some of you haven't finished your or submitted your interview questionnaires. And so we can't put you into a group. And would you, if you want to be in a group, which we would love to meet you in, could you finish uh, your interview questionnaires and send them back so we can um, include you in the groups? Thank you. So I think our schedule now is that um, we're going to be going into groups right now. So I think you know where you're at. I believe that um, Maria Cristina and or um, Carleta will be moving us into the groups that we need to be in. So again, thank you for your practice. This afternoon, this evening. So much. Yeah, and for those of you that aren't in groups and would like to practice movement, that's now too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But if you'd like, yeah, let's take a couple minutes. I need to set up and. So just in keeping the presence of the beautiful Dharma that's been spoken through Noliwe and um, and then we'll come back in five minutes, and then if you're not going to a group, thank you for listening.